Welcome to the Borders of Blue podcast. My name is Lizette. In episode 6 today, Khan Cohen explains the beliefs that Jewish people hold with regard to Christianity and he's introduced to a different type of Christian and realizes that God is working in his life. Khan Cohen felt that he was losing his grip on Judaism, but he still believed the Bible was the word of God and that he must not cast it off entirely. Being thrown among Gentiles much of the time, he also made the decision not to let them know that he was a Jew because he was afraid that they would hate him bitterly and that he would not get any work as a result. He said the following, But in my inner conscience I felt that Moses and the prophets were still true, and if God would help me, I would sometime return to the fold and be a good Jew. Then if I were wealthy, I would give liberally to charitable purposes, and thus would make up what I had lost. So to put this into context, you must understand that the Jew is taught what he loses in piety, he can make up in charity or almsgiving. It may not be generally understood that the word charity, now that's so commonly used, even amongst the Jews, originally meant righteousness. If you have a look at Matthew 6 verse 1, it says the following, Take heed that you do not your arms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So the rabbis teach that repentance, prayer, and almsgiving will annul the evil decree spoken of in prayers for the Day of Atonement, one of their writings. And so, The word arms is associated with righteousness. Cohen goes on to say, I would occasionally go to a synagogue on the most important holidays, and in this way I kept the light burning, even though it was barely flickering. But God was about to bring me into conditions that were entirely to change my life, and do it in a mysterious way, still in a way to bring me to himself and convince me that God was true. Cohen's impression of the Christian religion had not been changed by having contact with Christians, and he had found nothing in them that was very attractive from the fact that he had been to a church once and had mingled only with Christians that worked in the factories. Now you must understand that from a rabbinical Jewish context, everyone is a Christian who's not a Jew or a Muslim. They called them Mohammedans in those days. It makes no difference how vile they consider the person to be, whether they're a blasphemer, a drunkard, or somebody steeped in some other form of vice. He's classified as a Christian. You see, the Jews would often see Christians leaving their churches on a Sunday and going straight to a place where they could consume vodka. This was particularly coming from Russia and they would see them become so intoxicated that they considered it part of the Christian religion. So to a rabbinical Jew, it was this Christian religion that made the people the way they were. In other words, immoral people. So now that you have this understanding, Khan Cohen said the following, All the people with whom I mingled were of the class that did not make anything of religion, And so I concluded I would keep to myself as far as I could and have nothing whatsoever to do with this religion. 
As you will recall from our previous episode, he had located to Massachusetts with the help of the labor organization, and he managed to secure some work, but then started to look for a situation where he could stay with a family and not stay in a formal boarding situation. He made the following statement. It had always been my desire to live in private families as far as possible, as then I should not be ridiculed very much, even though the people did regard me as a Jew. Though I try to hide the fact people often would accuse me of being a Jew, so I made it a point to live in places where there were but few people. While he was trying to find a place to live, he came across a young man who told him that he thought he knew of a place where he could live with a very nice family. He also informed Cohen that they were a Christian family that were rather odd but good people. For Cohen, the thought of being good and Christian did not quite harmonize, but he decided to take the young man's word for it. He went on to tell Cohen that the husband didn't work on a Saturday and that they believed in the Bible, they didn't eat pork, and various other things that seemed rather peculiar to Cohen at the time. Momentarily, Cohen thought the young man must be insane, because who had ever heard of good Christian people? But he got a deep impression that he should go nevertheless, and asked the young man for the family's name, and where they lived. Everything that the young man told him seemed to be revolving around in his mind, He seemed to get the impression that this was the family he was to live with. The family's name was Fiske. Cohen finally called on the Fiske home and stated his case. Mr. Fiske treated him rather coolly and informed him that his house was not a boarding house. And Cohen told him that he was not looking for a boarding house, but just a nice family with whom he could reside. But Mr. Fiske kept making excuses, and it seemed for a time that Cohen would be disappointed. But he kept pressing his case and pleaded health and other things. Mr. Fiske went on to tell him that they were not home on a Saturday, but went to church on that day, and that he would have to eat cold food. He said he would do anything as long as he could stay there with them. Having made all the excuses Mr. Fiske possibly could, he told Cohen that he would have to speak with his wife, and then he would let him know. Cohen goes on to say, Those hours of waiting are fresh in memory. It seemed to me as though I could see but one thing, and could think of but one thing, the strange, peculiar characteristics of this family. Mr. Fiske finally informed Cohen that his wife had agreed to let him come and try it for a time, and that they would determine later whether he could stay. Cohen said that he felt that it was going to be a good place and decided to do what he could to merit their favor so that they would be willing to keep him there. In Cohen's mind, he decided that he would watch. As having been taught of the deceitfulness of the Russian so-called Christians, he was going to do nothing to make himself obnoxious to them, but he would do a little detective work and see what took place in their home. He was now going to have the chance to observe Christian people in their own environment, and such peculiar Christian people at that. Of course, he never told them that he was a Jew in case they would turn against him, and he knew that all Christians hated Jews, so he decided he would keep quiet on that point. 
After he had been there a day or two, he began to feel at home, as they seemed different from any other Christian people that he had ever seen or even heard of. They were so kind and so interested in his welfare that he could not explain to himself what it meant. He goes on to say, When I reached the house on Friday evening, I was literally dumbfounded. I was told that it was the beginning of the Sabbath. They believed in the Bible, in God, in Jesus, and they kept the seventh-day Sabbath. They went on to tell me something of what they believed, and while I listened attentively to what they were saying, I was passing through an experience and a struggle that I shall never forget. What did it all mean? Was it really true, or was I dreaming? The house was all in order, all work was put aside, and the Sabbath was being observed as if they were Jews. Now, I just want to clarify this for the listener, that throughout the centuries, from the time of the disciples, there have always been Sabbath-keeping Christians. Cohen goes on to say, I said within myself, now this is strange, and more than strange, what could I say? Here were Gentile people who knew nothing about God and the Bible, from my standpoint, keeping the Sabbath that belongs to the Jews. And here was I, a Jew, working on the Sabbath and acting like a Gentile. I could not explain it. I was confounded. It was simply beyond expression to me. I mused and I pondered. But I did not dare ask any questions for fear I might betray myself and then all would be gone as far as I was concerned. I made up my mind that I would see what these people did on the Sabbath and how they kept it. What he observed was that on a Friday night and on a Saturday, instead of on a Saturday night and a Sunday, they only ate beans. And what surprised him was that they put no pork in it, that they did not eat unlawful food because they considered pork an unclean animal. So his confusion became even more inexplicable and he found he couldn't say a word. So what I'm going to share with you is some insights in the mind of the masses of the Orthodox Jews, the Rabbinical Jews, the Christian religion consists of several ideas, and chief among them being the observance of the first day instead of the Sabbath, and the eating of swine's flesh. Con Cohen goes on to say the following, I had fallen into a peculiar situation. I felt condemned, and how strange the feelings were that came over me. I was unhappy but was puzzled. I'd never heard about such a religion, for it was not Christian, and I was sure that it was not Jewish. After thinking it all over soberly and seriously, I decided to just say nothing and watch what these people did. I should soon learn something, and then I could better determine what this thing meant. I found, however, that they acted differently from Jews, for they ate meat and milk together at the same table and mixed the two. But the Jews did not believe in mixing them. This was considered a great sin amongst the Jews. Then I found many other things that they did which were not like the Jews, while I knew they did not act like most of the Christians about whom I had heard. So let me provide a little more context. There are several scriptures in the Bible which read like this. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. And that's found in Exodus 23.19, 34.26, and Deuteronomy 14.21. From these texts, the rabbis have taught that meat and milk 
should not be eaten at the same time under any consideration, and that neither is a person allowed to cook any food containing animal fat of the fleshy substance with milk cream or animal fat of milky substance. Voluminous matter has been presented to the Jews from these scriptures, and a pious person is obliged to wait at least five hours after he has eaten any food with flesh till he can partake of any food with milk. Furthermore, as a result of this tradition, the housekeeper is obliged to maintain two sets of dishes, one for flesh foods, the other for the foods cooked with milk. Should a mistake be made in using any utensil of the one kind in the place of the other kind, the food would be forbidden and the dishes either be cleansed or thrown away. And this tradition is fully enforced. Cohen then goes on to speak about how the family treated him and he said the following. Then the people began to take a personal interest in me and made me feel as though I were in my own family. Certainly their kindness and Christian love were a treat to me, as it was something I had not been accustomed to enjoy at the hands of people who called themselves believers in Jesus of Nazareth. I found that my relish for Judaism was waning considerably, and I felt that if the religion of this people were for sale, if I ever could secure money sufficient to purchase some of it, I would be glad and willing to invest. Truly, there is a flavor to the life of a sincere Christian. Cohen soon learned that they believed in the Old Testament as well as the New, and they used to study their Bible on the Sabbath, and that much of their teaching was from the Old Testament. And he made the following statement. I thought, what right have these people to the Old Testament? They call themselves Christians, but the Old Testament belongs to the Jews, and the Christians have no use of it. So I concluded that I would stay in another room and hear what they had to say about the Old Testament and what they did when they read it. It was such a novel experience through which I found myself passing. Cohen recalled one Friday evening when he was listening to them study, they were studying the book of Kings, and a question arose that did not seem very clear in their minds. So he listened with much interest and wondered what these people really knew about the Old Testament, and he realized that he could tell them a considerable amount about it. And he sat there listening for a while in front of the fire, musing over their discussion. And before long, without even realizing it, he got up and walked into the parlor where they were sitting and began to expound to them the Old Testament scriptures. He goes on to say, I never stopped to think of the effect it would have upon them, as I had not told them that I was a Jew and never thought how they might wonder where I had learnt about the Old Testament if I were a Gentile. But in hearing them study the Bible, the love of it came back to me, and I could not help going there and telling them something about it that would make it plainer to them. From time to time, they would invite him to attend church with them, and at first he was quite reluctant, not knowing whether the preacher would be dressed the same as the man that he had seen in Ventnor in the church on the Isle of Wight. But to his surprise, he found that he was not, and heard the minister read from the Old Testament as freely as from the New Testament. Cohen, of course, had never read the New Testament. 
Con Cohen's prejudices were still very strong against Christianity, and he made up his mind that he would rather hear than investigate. The minister seemed a very nice man to him, and he made the Bible very clear and simple. But what seemed very strange to Cohen was to hear a man who was a Christian minister talk about the Old Testament in a way as though he had a right to it. By degrees, the name of Jesus did not sound so hateful to him, and at the invitation, he would occasionally attend a service when there was a minister in attendance. What really stood out for Cohen was their kindness to him, that it not only continued, but it actually increased, and that everything that could be done for one's own family member was done for him. And he said there seemed to be an inner voice within him telling him that this religion was different from what he had ever seen. Everywhere that he went in the house, he would find religious reading material, and occasionally they would talk with him about the Bible, though he himself would say very little, as he wished ever to be on his guard and not let his speech betray him. He would often read some of the papers and the books, and he would ponder over them, and it seemed to him more and more that he had come in contact with something that was having a huge influence over his life. What it was, he did not know, and he could not explain it. To Cohen, the Fisky family's kindness seemed to have no bounds, and he relates a very, very interesting experience. He said, After I had been with his family about 18 months, I was taken seriously ill. At midnight, I hastened downstairs burning with fever and begged Mr. Fisky to do something for me. As soon as he looked at me, he hurried me back to bed, telling me that I had the scarlet fever. The doctor was called, and I supposed that I should be taken to hospital. Instead, these dear people said no. They would take care of me and do all they could for my comfort. This was indeed a surprise to me. I had no money to offer them to take care of me and should be out of employment for a number of weeks. Nevertheless, they said they would take care of me and nurse me all through my illness. And this was not all. The very day that I was taken sick, I had their little four-year-old girl on my lap and was amusing her as I often had done. I then said, But how about the little girl? Why, she'll be sick with fever too. It seemed sad to me to think that I had not only caused them so much trouble to have to care for me, but they would also have the sorrow of their little girl being sick. Although almost immediately the lady replied, She's not going to have the scarlet fever. I'm quite sure of that. I thought to myself, such an answer was indeed strange. The doctor claimed that the scarlet fever is very contagious, so much so that the authorities demanded a card shall be placed on the door that people may not spread the disease. And here Mrs. Fisky said the child was not going to be sick. She remarked it with such emphasis that I was led to wonder how she knew the child would not have it. She said, I have prayed about it, and I know the Lord will not allow it to come. Certainly, this was a strange thing to me. She prayed to the Lord, and she knew the Lord would not let the child have the fever. I thought and pondered much over this answer. In fact, the next three weeks, I did scarcely anything but to ponder. It seemed to me some of the time as though I certainly should die, and what an awful thing it would be to lose my hope in and hold on to Judaism. 
He said that at the same time, God was working on his mind in a mysterious way, yet he was not conscious of it. And though he was almost at death's door, still God had a care for him, and he was impressed all the time with the kindness of these people. It seemed to him that he'd never received such kind treatment in his life. Through the many weeks that he lay in bed, every want was abundantly supplied, whether it was day or night, and that he felt that more could not have been done for him, even in his own household. Often thoughts would come to him such as, This is a Christian religion. This is what Christian people are doing. These people know they will not receive pay for this, as they know I have nothing. Yet they gladly toil by day and wait upon me by night, and all without any thought or expectation of remuneration. May it not be possible that I have been deceived in my teaching concerning Christianity. May it not be possible that the Christian religion is not what I supposed it to be. May it not be possible that there is more than one kind of Christian religion, and that Christian religion here is different from what I have been taught. These people are Christian people. They seem to take delight in their religion, and yet they claim to be followers of this Jesus. And then further thoughts would come to him such as, My parents and my rabbis have told me those awful things about Christianity and about Jesus of Nazareth. I certainly could not disbelieve my parents, for the Bible says, Honor thy father and thy mother. Many an hour they have spent in telling me of the awful massacres and barbarities done in the name of this Jesus and in the name of this Christian religion. How could these two views of the same religion be harmonized? Con Cohen came to the conclusion that there was something mysterious passing through his life, that he had been brought through the crisis of illness and even after 11 weeks was able to resume his work again. The gratitude that he felt in his heart for these people was abundant and he really believed that he had now found some true friends among the Christians. It had begun to dawn on him that God had been using them as a means to show him something of the reality of the Christian religion and had given him some time to think that possibly he was mistaken and that there might be something in the Christian religion after all that he had never known. Later on in his journey, he came to the conclusion that the Christian sects are an added stumbling block to the Jewish people. They will often ask, what part of the Christian religion shall I believe in? There are so many kinds of Christianity that the religion itself is divided and broken up. And so we come to the end of the episode. In episode 7, you will hear about Khan Cohen's supernatural conversion experience. Look forward to being with you next time.